here we go. All right, so first of all, I want to thank you all for coming, and I really want to thank Alexei Gutin, is that how you say it? Yeah. Um, for coming today. He's the CEO of Web Scribble Corporation, Inc.? Yeah, Inc. Okay, Inc. Okay. And um, I just, so just a little quick background. I know you all read some of the story. Um, you know, my story was long. I used to write long in those days. Um, <laughs> now they would not let me write that long. Um, but I had the privilege of interviewing Alexei almost 20 years ago. And I love the story because they were, um, they were high school kids that were moving into the RPI incubator. The RPI incubator, I don't believe really exist in this. I don't think so. Yeah. No, they were the, uh, this building. I've told uh, my class about it. Um, really, was the granddaddy of incubators. Very successful incubator. So it was not easy to get into, probably. Yeah. And they moved into the RPI incubator uh, weeks before they started school at RPI. So it's just this great story um, of them. You know, kids are coming off campus um, for the summer break, and they're coming onto campus to start their um, their not to start their business, but to start the next phase of their business. And um, they twin brothers. Alexei is the youngest uh, by younger of uh, ten minutes. Ten minutes. And um, he, uh, they moved here from Russia. Yeah. When they were eight. Mm -hmm. So I do want to ask a question about that a little yeah. bit and just what you may remember from your childhood there. And then you know they went uh, moved out of their bedrooms and into the incubator. Um, to and the goal was to pay for college. So I love that part of the story too because you in that early story there you. are talking about um, it's my it's our education so our parents could help but we want to pay for it before you even moved in it looked sounded like you guys already had paid off your college they were getting 10 clients a day that's huge I mean Simon didn't even know you know the head of the RPI incubator at the time didn't even know you had any revenue yet um, so there's a lot to talk about this great company um, but I just wanted to thank you so much yeah, for coming up this right. morning so uh, when I did that first story um, you basically, well, I guess I want to start a little bit about Russia. So you're eight years old. So do you remember anything about Russia, what life was like there for you? Uh, very, you yeah, very little. I mean, I think we lived, you know, in, uh, I don't know, it, 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 was, it, was, it was during the time when it was um, right, right after the Soviet Union collapsed and, it, it, you know, there was limited resources and I just, I, but I, honestly, as an eight-year-old leaving the country, I had a pretty good life. I, I mean, my parents took good care of us, so I, you know, I was, I was, uh, I was a happy kid. Yeah. But but looking back on it, from you know what my parents tell me, you know, very glad we, very glad we left the country. I mean, yeah. How now. how did yeah. right? How how different would your life be today? I mean, yeah, I couldn't even imagine it. I don't know. It would just be yeah. It should be totally different. Um, so and then you had this. And I don't know how much you still do this. Uh, by the way, what led your folks to move here? Was it a job your dad had or mom had? Or yeah, so my dad, so my dad was a, a physicist, but uh, knew English very, very well and worked as a translator kind of on the side part-time. And someone from actually from Lake George, a wealthy real estate developer, was visiting the country and he hired a, um, a translator, my dad, to, to kind of um, show him around and, and translate for him. And you know we we had him for dinner, and he kind of saw how how we lived, and wanted to create an opportunity for someone, and and then brought my dad over as a as a programmer. Uh, so we lived in Lake George for quite a while. Wow. Um, and that's how we yeah that's how we came. So we talk about networking and just connections. Really, yeah. I mean, just think about this stuff. Off. That's the most important one. <laughs> yeah, seriously. For us. Um, so in the, at home, you said. And I don't know if this still happens, but you used to, you said growing up, you yeah. spoke Russian at home, yeah. you spoke English with your friends yeah. and at school. Yeah, still the same. Oh, uh, yeah, still the same now. Really? Yeah. Okay. So I have a, I have a daughter now, so I try to have my parents teach her Russian as well. So That's great. Yeah. How old is she? She's a year and a half. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Wow. Yeah. I'm really feeling old. I've got more gray hairs. <laughs> so, and what's life like today for you? Just as a you know, CEO of a company and a growing company, just what's your, an average day for you? Um, is there an average day? No, there's no average day, no. But it's, it's, it's uh, it just gets busier and busier. You know, I, I have to prioritize my time and, and find time for family. Um, is that hard to do? Sometimes, yeah, it can be. Um, yeah, it can be, especially when, when things are busy at work, or I, I sometimes have to travel, and 
it, it can be challenging, but um, but it's it's a lot of fun. It's it's good. To, I like to be more busy than that. I always say I'd be rather be busy than bored. Yeah. For sure, time goes by really slow yeah. when you're bored. Yeah. You probably don't remember when you were bored last. <laughs> so. So let's just get into the nuts and bolts of Web Scribble. I know it's changed over the years. I want to talk a little bit about that. But just tell us right now, like, what is Web Scribble? Who came up with the idea? You know, and then a little bit about maybe how it's changed over the years. We talk about pivots a lot. Yeah. I know you guys have had some. So yeah. tell me, what, what is Web Scribble? Yeah, so we started out at, uh, so we started out, um, yeah, in high school, Alexander and I started the company. And originally, we were basically a, a custom web development shop. We would bid on projects online, and people would pay us to kind of develop something custom. And we saw some recurring themes that uh, people were posting over and over again, and we decided to commercialize those into a product that we sold kind of off the shelf. Back then it was sold on a CD uh, or a download sometimes. Um, and the concept of like software as a service didn't exist. And, and so we, we commercialized a few products, uh, one of them being, being the, the Career Center job board product that we have today. And, um, and, and we did that for quite a while through undergrad. Um, it was very much like a lifestyle business for, for Alexander and I. We, we, we had, you know, we had employees, but weren't really focusing on, I don't know, we didn't have a clear strategy for how to grow the company in a methodical way. Uh, it was, like Rick alluded to, a great way to, you know, cover our tuition and some extra beer and pizza money. Um, but other than that, it, you know, it was a lifestyle business. When we finished undergrad, uh, both both of us decided to go to grad school. I, I ended up getting my doctorate in electrical engineering, and Alexander got his law degree. Um, Underachievers. Yeah, there. and uh, and and so that that took us through like twenty twelve, uh, and that's when we kind of finished. Both of us at least finished school. He finished a little bit before me, um, and that's when we had to figure out in our minds at least what we wanted to do when we grew up, and and to, to see if we wanted to get real jobs or or kind of turn this into not a lifestyle business, but something that, that was gonna grow over time. We didn't wanna get real jobs. Uh, so, so we decided to, to kind of um, focus. And, and at that time we had four or five products maybe. And we, you know, we decided to scale it down to just the one, which is was a very difficult decision because you have to, you're giving up revenue. Um, and that did was you, a, I'm sorry, go, yeah, ahead. go ahead. I was gonna say that, did you fire clients as they say, where you said we're no longer gonna service this client or did you just kind of let them kind of fade away over time? It basically faded. It was, it, at that time, our, our sale was transactional. We sold a product and then they kind of, they relied on us a little bit for technical support, but, and, and we kind of had this kind of awkward six to 12 month phase where, um, yeah, they, they kind of just faded away. We supported them, but then the request got like lower and lower and then eventually all went away. So you had, you went from five products. I know one was a building sites that were yeah. for people who wanted to start a dating site, yeah. for yeah. instance. Um, how did you decide that um, whittling it down? And did you and Alexander, your brother and president of the company, um, did you have differences of opinion here or did you bring a tiebreaker in? Or how, give me a little bit about that process. It was... It, it was a little bit more, it, it kind of happened naturally. We saw certain product lines declining and we kind of had to evaluate where, uh, where we thought one would be, we could stand the test of time. And uh, one, of, one of our pro products was like a social networking product at the time. We built it, like Facebook was still in its infancy, but MySpace was not. And so it's like back in those days. Okay. Uh, the, or my face, as my mom called it. <laughs> um, and so those kind of things, we even at that time, we saw as kind of fads that might come and go. Not, not to say that like social networking didn't come and go, but there was, it was, we thought at, at that time there would be one very dominant player and, and, and selling an off-the-shelf product to start your own networks was not gonna, not gonna work. And so we kind of, it was definitely not like a fully confident decision, but we guessed that you know the job board product could stand the test of time, and it's that's when we um, we that's when we focused our entire company on on that one product and moved away from this you know buy once model and, and into a subscription model um, where we sold it like software as a product. People were paying us a monthly fee, and. You know, we went from charging for one time like $300, then we made it $1,000, and then we made it like $300 a month. So it was annually way more money. 
and we were like, oh, this is so much money, and then we got customers, and we, what we saw was that they would, you know, they would churn or leave the service after three or four months because they would try it out and then like figure out it was too hard to do to start a business and shut it down. So then we decided that's not the type of customer we want, and then we went from $300 a month to $1,000 a month, and the kind of price that, that customer base out, and then kept increasing the price, basically. And what, what, what the types of customers we were working from like 2012 to 2015, were at, by the end of the, those three years, were um, like standalone niche job board operators. So there's, there's still to this day a ton of job sites that are specific to like a profession, like sales or marketing or you know like engineers or programmers yeah, yeah. and um and, and those tend to be even today small companies under 50 people don't have the resources to have their own tech team manage the the technology they just want to do the sales marketing and customer service so they outsource it to companies like us and that really matured our product really quickly because those are we still have a lot of those customers today they're what we call our legacy clients um, but they, they were extremely demanding in terms of the product and it, it matured a product in a very short window. And, and, and st we still work with a lot of them to this day. And, and, but that market in the United States and even internationally, but in, in the US was really small. And so in 2015, we were realizing that we we're gonna start, start to stall our growth. And that's when we kind of again pivoted again. This is, I don't know, third or fourth <laughs> or fifth pivot. Uh, into into the association world. So, like a lot of you, a student might might be thinking about joining the association, or, or may may join towards at some point in your uh, in your during your education. But associations help. You know, they collect a group of people around a certain profession. They advocate for that profession, and they do continuing education. Help students network with uh, you know people that are well into their career. And, and, and so we, we decided to move into the association world to, to power their career centers and give employers access to like very niche and specialized talent. And if they wanted to go hire a psychologist, they would use one of our career centers. If they wanted to hire an engineer, they would use one of ours. If they wanted to hire something more general, like uh, you know, someone in retail, they would go to like an Indeed or a Monster or a ZipRecruiter. And so that was our final pivot in 2015 into the association world. And that was, that was the most risky probably uh, for two reasons. Number one was the sales cycle in the association world is super slow. Yep. And it's like nonprofits, it's, it's, all, it's all, all the same. Um, and on top of that, we had to change our business model from selling it on a subscription basis to where we charge the client to giving our product away for free to the association and then monetizing it through the employers that pay us for job postings and access to those candidates. So we had to front load the investment into acquiring those customers and then eventually build out another team, sales team that sold two employers. Okay. And for the first year in 2015 and a good part of 2016, we were getting tiny associations that had small numbers of members they they were they didn't make us any money, but we had to get them to get slightly larger ones to get medium sized ones. How nervous were you, by the way, at that stage, twenty sixteen? Uh, things were still good on the legacy, like what, okay. what's our legacy business today. But um, so I, we weren't nervous, but we weren't sure it's going to work. Um, and in particular, because there was two other competitors in the space that were super dominant um, and kind of owned the space, and so we were entering as a new player. We had to take away a lot of their customers or find ways to take them away. So there's a big learning period for, for that one year. And then uh, on top of that, we didn't know if the business model would work because we were giving it away. And, um, and, and then additionally, you know, the sales cycles along and I was the only person selling. And, and so it, it was hard to wrap my mind around, okay, if I get these small ones, it's gonna help me get medium-sized ones and hopefully the medium-sized ones will help us land one one or two big ones here to put us on the map but that is what happened um you know we landed we we got small tiny associations that we still have today to medium-sized ones and then at the end of i think at the end of 2016 or 7, 7, 2017 
uh, we landed AARP, who's a still a banner client of ours. Yeah. Um, and then very shortly after, we landed like the American Psychological Association. And in the association world, once you have some kind of credibility that you can do it, and, and you do it with some large clients, it's a lot easier to, to get more. And it's a lot easier to get more in a certain vertical. So, you know, it, with, with American Psychological Association, we kind of established what I like to call like an anchor in our healthcare vertical, where now for us it's a lot easier to go after more healthcare-based associations. Because you could say, these are who are yeah, someone. Exactly. They've already, the sense is like, they've already vetted. If AARP yeah. vetted you, yeah. then... That plus, that, that's a really big part of it. And the other is that they, um, like we understand how their industry works. Yes. Even, so there's industries within, sub-industries within this whole broad association industry, because a healthcare association is nothing like you know an engineering association. They have totally different, just like the way they operate is entirely different, and the way their members work is entirely different. So um, you made me think of a question I didn't even have on my list. But like when you're going after, so you're looking at your competitors. Are you looking like you're finding out who their client? Are you like literally picking off their clients? Is that how that's, you're doing? That's how we've grown so far. Um, I think that's how we're going to continue to grow for a while. Uh, but it, but there there's still the kind of what I call the white space of associations that don't have a current vendor, um, you know the, the, the and then there's a, a new set of risk associated with that that we we will likely take um, because you know when we when we take a client away from from a competitor we know what we're acquiring in terms of how many dollars it's going to make us or we can predict it with reasonable accuracy. Uh, if we take away, if we onboard a new association that doesn't have a history of that revenue, uh, it, it's more risky. So we need to be a little bit more calculated about it. So, and you're still giving it free to the association. Yeah. So, but you're making them money as well. Yes. Right? So that's that's right. So we we give the associations two or three values. Number one is the whole reason members join. The number one or two reason is to advance their career. And so having a good career center, and it's more than that. It's you know we provide them. The equivalent of like glass door for their profession and the salary data, career path exploration, and then and matching to jobs, uh, and and then virtual and in person career fairs. Um, so number one is a member benefit, and that drives member engagement. Member engagement means those members keep paying their annual dues every year, and which is really important to the association. Um, and, and then and then we monetize it for them. We charge employers for access to those candidates. Employers get very highly qualified candidates they can't find anywhere else to hire. Uh, they pay us to do that and we share some of that revenue back to the association. So it becomes a source of non, not what they call non-dues revenue for the, for, the, for the organization. Now you have all these years of data that you can show them like this is what we, this is what yeah. our typical. Exactly. Awesome. Yep. Okay. How, Working with a family member, we've talked about this in this class, you know, family-owned businesses. Yours isn't quite the typical family-owned business when people think about that, yeah. like a dry cleaner or something. Yeah. But what's it like working with your brother? Do you guys have separate offices? You, do you come in different shifts because you don't want to see each other? I'm, I know that's not the case. But what's it like working with your brother? Pros and cons. Yeah. Um, your brother may hear this podcast, so just be careful. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, what's that like? Yeah, it's not... I don't know. I get that question asked from time to time. It, it and it's not it's not that hard. We get along pretty well. Um, you know, a long time ago we split up our responsibilities. Where, for some period of time, it used to be that him and I both would do like try to go hunt for hunt for a client, sell them, and then service them. That quickly broke down, and we we separated our um, our responsibilities. So now I oversee sales, marketing, and customer success all roll up to me, and he oversees the product and tech, even though he's the lawyer and I'm the engineer. Um, but, uh, uh, um, but, you know, with those clear lines of delineation, um, I mean, yeah, we have disagreements, but it, I think, you know, we're, we're both rational, and, and uh, it, it, it's not hard to work it out. Okay, that's good, because yeah. sometimes these things can be, they can go yeah. south. Yeah, I don't, and then Thanksgiving dinners are really tough. Yeah, and, I think it's, for me, it's a lot easier and more comfortable to work with a family member than it would be, to, not a stranger, but you know, it's, it, it, it's hard to choose a business partner, and uh, you know, it can go, it can go sideways. Someone you, tr yeah. you trust him implicitly. Exactly. You know, yeah. He lives. He actually moved to be closer to you. Yeah. Well, oh, you know it was what? just convenience. Okay. <laughs> Down the street. Yeah, it just happened to be the case. Just happened to be. So you landed on the Inc. Uh, 5,000 fastest growing companies list yep. first time. Yeah. 
uh, 481% growth over the last three years. You touched on this already a little bit, but I'm wondering if maybe you can give a sense of, you know, some of the driving. What's interesting to me also is that your growth, we're talking, you said four years, actually, you got to the last four years have actually been exceptional, not just three, but I know Inc. only went, goes yeah. back three. Um, so, and you did that in the midst of COVID. Yeah. So is there any kind of COVID insights as well? We'll get into a little bit more on that maybe later, but what's, you know, the driving growth and how did you, did you have to make some adjustments as a result of the pandemic? Did that help you or hurt you? And yeah, a lot so, of, a lot of questions yeah. in there. Um, so maybe from, so, um, driving the growth first, what, what led to the growth over the last three or four years? Yeah. So it was this culmination of what we entered the association world and the sales cycles long. It took us a long time to get the first 50 clients and those were very small ones that didn't generate that much revenue. Um, and then eventually we got enough, uh, enough and we weren't sure when that would be, but we, we need, we knew we needed to get enough associations to start building out a sales team to sell to employers. And that was like a really big decision for us because we didn't know when that would be because, you know, how many employees are you like four years ago? Um, I don't know, like half of what we are today. Okay. I do want to get into your first hires yeah. and all that stuff too, but okay. Yeah. So, but we didn't have, we didn't have this employer sales team four years ago. It's about four years old this year and so you know we were we were selling this product on on this revenue share basis but didn't have a sales team and so all of it was like self-service employers would go on and post the jobs themselves and we were really not monetizing it like how we could um and we had to make a guess of when we think we, we thought we had enough critical mass of associations to then sell to employers and run the risk of hiring people and we hired our first three uh, employer sales people in um, at the end of 2018 I think yeah at the end of 2018 I'm pretty sure that's when you had moved into the the, the new, yeah the new building yeah okay. um, and that's so we hired three and had no idea what we were doing and and uh, didn't know what the expectations should be and, and again made a bunch of guesses and you know when it when it's easy to hit a target, that means that the target is too too low. And so we just kind of kept moving the goalposts and, and, and built out that team. So that team went from a, a team of three. To, um, by the end of this month, we're, we're onboarding eight new people, but uh, it'll be a team of um, six, six, 17 or 18. Okay. So pretty fast growth. Um, and that that's really what led to a lot of this revenue growth is everything came together. Number one is like, we had enough associations to start getting more and more faster, and that led to us being able to sell more to employers and hire more salespeople to do that. And that kind of all came together at the same time. Are they all under one roof, these sales folks? Or are these the ones that are they remote? Um, most of them to this, uh, most of them have been in Troy, but now we're hiring a remote. Like we just we just brought on eight new people. We're about to bring on eight new people, I should say. Wow. And that's all um, all remote. Wow. Yeah. So. And how about in the midst of COVID? I mean, are, so they were still buying your product. They were still trying to find new ways to engage their uh, members and that kind of thing. Did it help you? I did not. Okay. Um, so we, we generate all of, not all of our revenue, but a, a big chunk of our revenue through, through jobs. And in April of 2020 or March of 2020, but definitely April, like, every employer stopped hiring like literally it was right. just like from right. from one of the most competitive hiring environments that we'd seen in decades to like near zero and um and and you know we we're not you know we're not private equity owned we're not venture capital funded so we are a profitable company i thought it was going to be trans- you're bootstrapped yeah we, we use the expression bootstrap in one of the classes, yeah so. Um, no problem. Uh, so we, you know, we were, we were financially conservative always and to, to this day. And I thought it was going to, I thought it was going to be pretty transient. I didn't think it was going to be, I didn't think, I thought it was going to last long, like less than it, it lasted, obviously. You were not alone. Like, like, you were not like alone. Many. Um, and so I, you know, I thought it would be, you know, a month or two or three. Um, and for that full quarter, it was it was rough, uh, especially in April. May started like the world started like slowly, like at least hiring certain roles around like pandemic related jobs in healthcare, which was one of our verticals. Uh, and then and then in June it started creeping back up, 
and, and that happened across the whole recruitment recruitment and HR industry where like Indeed saw an enormous drop, ZipRecruiter saw an enormous drop. So we, we weren't alone, but by at the end of Q3 that year, we were already better, doing better than we were pre, pre-pandemic. Oh, that was wow. Com- that was a combination for us of, um, of, of um, we onboarded a ton of big associations that year. And so had COVID never happened, we would have grown a lot more in 2020. Uh, so we ended up growing like 30% that year, which was one of our <laughs> slower growing years. Wow. Um, uh, and and by, by Q4 for us was very good. And most like Zip, Zip Recruiter and Indeed recovered at the end of Q4. So we were a full quarter ahead. And I think that we attribute to the type of people that we help employers hire are very high skill labor. They were they always have a low unemployment even during a recession, and even during a pandemic. But when these the are essential pen- positions, yeah, like what, like uh, like a like a lawyer or like a nurse. But but during the pandemic, a nurse or a physician couldn't work. It was like one of these times where, for the first time in maybe history, I don't know, like they you know they shut down certain medical procedures from happening just to prioritize the COVID cases. So it was just like a really weird three month period. But after that kind of subsided, um, you know, those jobs started coming back and those kind of, that kind of labor has really low unemployment. And so for that reason, we, we, we rebounded really quickly. That's amazing. Um, how COVID sometimes can also like in our company, I was talking about how you could get a hold of people maybe easier because of COVID as well. Yeah. Because the CEO may, you know, if you're trying to reach the, or executive directors, whatever it is, yeah. at these associations, did that, you know. It, no, it was, a, it was a disaster. Uh, yeah, it. it was because. What was your biggest growth? I'm sorry, I mean, keep going on. Uh, what so, so, so during COVID, employers stopped, stopped buying for a full quarter and associations, associations make half their annual revenue off the annual dues, but a huge chunk of the other half is their annual event. That oh, got canceled yes. for two years. Yeah. Uh, but that year, everyone was in a panic to move their in-person events to virtual, and the last thing they wanted to do was th- talk about a new product they wanted to implement. So we closed, actually, a bunch of deals in 2020 that we had teed up. Okay. Um, but then in t- into 2021, a lot of that pipeline we should have built the prior year stalled. And so last year was, was a little bit slower of a year for us in terms of bringing on new associations because, like because a lot there's a lot of staff turnover so we had to restart you know the sales process and uh and and it wasn't only it wasn't until the second half of last year that associations like figured out how to do in-person or hybrid events and then start to prioritize like new initiatives like careers and, and job boards well they talk about the great you know what do they call it? The great resignation or whatever, where people are leaving yeah. jobs. So has that helped in the sense it has. that there's okay. yeah that's that's a big part. that's another lever of the growth is we're even today in one of the most competitive hiring environments in many decades. Uh, there's like almost three times more people than open jobs. I think at the August report drop that, that drop, but it's still more than one person. It's like two people or one and a half people, uh, one and a half jobs for people looking, I should say. And in particular in our, in our industries where again, it's, it's very high skill workers that are typically there's not enough not enough supply of them to, to, to for all the jobs out there. Uh, there's very much like a war for talent. Um, you just said that thirty percent growth was one of your lower years. So give me what are some of your biggest growth years? Like what? Last year what? we yeah we grew like eighty seven percent. Eighty seven percent. And then in twenty nineteen it was it was a lot. It was like in those numbers in that wow. range too. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Have you had year over year growth since you started, or were there dips along the way? So, you know, like we have a bunch of pivots. One of, and and during the two thousand eight recession, we had we had four four or five products, and it was you know to help start a new business, and that was a severe recession, where everyone's you know disposable disposable income that they would might spend to try something new just shut off. So that was a very challenging time. That was probably the most challenging time for the company. Um, and then when we came out of that recession, it, yeah, we've had year over year growth since then. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. I do have some more, a lot more questions, but I do want to open it up. I realize I haven't looked up yet in a while. So some questions. 
Do not be shy. Yes, Brian. Uh, so earlier you mentioned that one of your earliest pivots uh, away from social media was sort of you based that on your internal uh, metrics. I'm curious when you pivoted to subscription basis, was that really market trends? Was that something you saw coming? Because I know that was around the same time like Adobe and Microsoft Office started going to subscription model. Yeah, exactly. So <clears throat> good question. It's a great question. So um, it, it, it was. So we would have loved to go to subscription as early as possible, but the market, you know, the first player to do it, the first big player was Salesforce. And, uh, and the SaaS, like SaaS software as a service subscription was not that prevalent even when we started doing it. Um, so we, we saw that as a market trend. The, the problem for our business was we had to, we were selling a product and the buyers were small businesses that would start something, see if it worked, and 90, 95 times out of 100, it would not work. And so a year from then, even if we created an upgrade path where we charge them for upgrades, the, the 95% of our customers wouldn't exist. So we moved to the subscription model partly because the market uh, was, was, we thought might allow it, and the second was we wanted a customer base that was gonna be around every single year that where we wouldn't have to get new ones every uh, new customers to replace the ones that uh stopped stopped working with us every single year you said the product wouldn't work or you mean or is that what you said no like 95 percent of the time you said something wouldn't it's work it's like a small business starting out that, oh uh, the business I mean, wouldn't yeah, work exactly. it would work out yeah, gotcha right and so the thing is just so you guys understand like it's like recurring revenue is what a lot of what yeah. he's talking about where you're not just selling you know once you sell a house the house is sold now i gotta buy it to sell another house that's how I, you know that's a real estate person so you're trying to get out of that yeah and even though it's a lower fee to enter in three hundred dollars a month yeah. versus you know three thousand dollars off the shelf i'm just making up a number yeah. but you're giving a lower number but like you said you're getting a lot more at the end of the year yeah exactly okay great yes fair um, in the article, I said that like, one of your largest clients was AARP. Yep. Was there like another company that you like planning on working with? Other than that, was that a surprise? Are you going after bigger? Yeah. You, you did, how hard did you have to go after AARP? Did that you was, pick them specifically? And no, that was like, you know, some things happened with Pure Luck. That was one of them. They they came, you know, they came to us and rather than us coming to them. Really. Yeah, so the stars aligned for that one. Uh, with with ARP, they were using, they were using actually Indeed to power their job site for a long time, and then they severed that relationship and moved to a, a company that six months later went out of business. And so it, it, they they had no job board, and they were very quickly looking to replace that, and they they went through. Uh, uh, RFP process, which stands for like request for proposal, where they had a bunch of vendors bid, and and it just happened. It was it was a surprise, um, but because that's such a large and well known organization, today that allows not just them. We have a lot of large ones now, but we're going. We, you know, our target is to go after large national associations. So like, you know, American Psychological is one of them. We power the National Association of Social Workers. Um, you know, and then there's a bunch of large ones out there like the American Nurse American Nursing Association. We don't work with them. We'd love to, uh, and, and so yeah, we're going out. We have a target list for sure of, of large ones we'd like to work with. I know that in Albany, I think there's. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there's like there's the New York Association of Associations. That's right. It's called so, it's called SA. Oh, yeah. okay. So you get them. Yeah. I'm assuming. So we have them. Yeah. You do have them. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So. So that there's, must help. That, yeah, it does. And then there's an, a, a, a national association oh. of associations. Okay. Do you have them too? No, I wish. Okay, so did you hear that? We'll get that out there for you. <laughs> Do I get a commission if I yes, help get yes. that out there? Okay. Absolutely. That's awesome. Other questions? Um, yeah, Brucey. Sure. So my question is uh, regarding um, artificial intelligence. Like, do you think there's going to come a time where you know, like the value of being educated is gonna like lessen because nowadays you don't have, you can access information, you can Google like almost anything. And um, with that being said, like what career, uh, uh, what do you call it, advice would you give for anybody as far as to like what to study in college? Like do you think it's gonna, it's gonna come a time where like, you know, studying computer science would be like the, you know, top tier thing. So I see two questions there. Yeah, that's I don't know. Yeah, that's it's, good. It's a bit of a random question, but I guess yeah. I just wanted to. It's not random. Yeah. Um, I think 
AI will automate uh, like very low skill jobs relatively quickly uh, in the next maybe 10 years. And um, my advice is to go like go get a, a graduate degree. Uh, that's probably what I would advise. I, I mean, in what MBA or what or whatever perhaps. specialty field. Um, I mean, as an engineer, I'm really biased. Something technical. Okay. Um, MBA is a good is a good option, I think too. I think like yeah, I mean that path puts you down either a leadership path, a finance path. Um, you know, there's a bunch of paths actually that that would put you down. Um, but I think you know, yeah, I think AI will automate a lot of things that that uh, that are going to get too expensive where robots or tech can 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 uh, can fill those roles. Like, you know, like for example, a call center job I think will be like that's something that could be relatively easily eliminated in the next decade. Yeah, things like that. Okay. Yeah, or or outsourced to like overseas to to very low low, low wage labor. Right. Yeah. Okay. Very good. I, I don't think it's happening now. You know, if you look at if you look at the trend, you know, uh, you find out that I don't know if you've noticed at times when you call a call center, you are not calling the U.S. You are calling yeah a different country. You know, because I the one time I I picked up I, I can't remember I bought a laptop or something. I called the guy, and the guy was asking me, "What's your time where you are?" <laughs> so I was like, okay, why is he asking me what's your time where you are? I said, I said, why? Why? He said, because this is his time. I said, look, I'm in the US, and I found out that he's, he was coming from India, and because it was cheaper for them, you know, to call. To call. Yeah. Because the question he asked himself is, how many of us will um, want to work? 24 7. You understand? Because when we are awake, when we need that customer support, we'll be, some of us will be sleeping here. So why not send it to a different country that will be able to take that customer support? Right. And I think last, I think I read one article, I can't remember, that talked about if, if you look at iPhone, if iPhone was made in the US, if all the chips, all the components was making the US, how much would it cost? Oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> you understand? Because yes. most of the chips you have in the iPhone, most of the components in the iPhone is made in China. So if everything is made in the US, will the iPhone cost this a thousand, one thousand two hundred dollars? No, it might be more expensive. You know, so what is so is true. AI is gonna Take about the low income, um, the, maybe the low income jobs. You yeah. know, it will continue to push for that. Yeah. I think what will happen faster than the AI though is, as as a lot of companies have gone remote, it it flattens the playing field yeah. to not just you know like even us, we don't have to just hire in Albany anymore. We can hire anywhere in the U.S. But eventually, that means like we like not us. We, we probably wouldn't do this, but a company doesn't have to hire in the U.S. They can hire anywhere, and they are starting to do that, and the technology is there to do that. And now that, that now the competitive field is the whole world, at least all the English-speaking countries or people capable of speaking, That's great. speaking English. That's good stuff. Yeah, it's, uh, um, you know, our, our company, Transfer, we went, um, we went remote on uh, the Friday before the state yeah. forced everybody to yeah. do it, so we were a little bit ahead of the curve. And you know we we've continued to grow and realize that you know there's benefits to being in the office, but it's going to be different. Yeah. It's not like when we go back to the office. And I want to get to all of that as well. Jasmine, you had a question. Yeah, I have a question about regarding the what you want to be personal, and then I was asking why you guys were high school kids, and then thinking about business since then because your parents was in business or because you want to work for somebody. And you just like the business. Good question. The way you started the business, please, like, you didn't know some of these things. You both went to different directions for your, for your career, but you were an engineer, your brother's a lawyer, and now why did you go for business management and you used to have the business? Yeah, so um, in, in high school, um, 
I forget what age I was, but one of the summers I worked for a local company, actually an RPI tech park, doing like their website. It was the same company my dad worked at and he helped me essentially, me and Alexander actually essentially get an internship. And I had a great experience there. Um, I built their website, but they also had developers there that I just like spent time with them and they mentored me and taught me a lot. And I was prepared to like do that the next summer, but that company went through uh, some financial hardship and didn't offer us, you know, a position the following summer. So then we had, that's when we decided, okay, well, we have these skills. There's this website where you can like work rem like remotely at the time, I guess was not even a thing, but like you can go bid, bid on projects and build them for other people. Let's try that. And, and that's kind of how it started. It's, we, we weren't, we didn't sit down and said we wanted to create a business. We just like needed something to do that summer. <laughs> well, that's interesting because a lot of times these entrepreneurs I've covered in the past, they had it when they were in like fourth grade. They're like, you know, everybody uh, else is selling yeah. brownies and they're selling chicken and getting more business or whatever. Yeah. You guys, it wasn't yeah. like that. No, no. Did you have a lemonade stand? I feel like, I feel like those stories are like, they, 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 they kind of retell history to make it sound better. I feel like there's a lot of accidental things that happen in, in business uh -huh. and some luck sometimes. Yeah, you definitely have, and you've used that word a few times. Yeah. Although I did, you say what? The harder you work, the luckier you get. So there's probably some truth yeah. there too. Uh, it's 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 a little bit of luck, but uh, but it, it's a lot of hard work. Um, I love that kind of closing the loop on, you know. So they go out of their house, they go into the incubator. You're there for I don't remember how many years now, um, and then. Uh, four, four or five years, I think. Yeah, we left in tw 2006, I think, and went that's to right. the RPI Tech Park. So, that's, so you go back to the... That must have been kind of cool. Yeah. You're starting a business yeah. where you got your start. Yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah. Um, you want to walk me through that? Yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it was cool. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't really remember, you know, yeah, what I thought of it at the time, but it was, yeah, it was, it was cool, and, and we, you know... We had a pretty big, reasonably big space, and it was it was awesome to you know have people in it. it yeah, you know, it, it was. How big were you at the time leaving the incubator? So when you moved in the incubator, it was just the two of you. Yeah, but we had like our interns from RPI that worked. Oh, you for did. Us. Okay. Yeah, in and out. And you paid them with pizza. Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, one of one of them was one of our really good friends, um, and then yeah, some, some. You know, some RPI students that would want to do it over the summer, or some did it over the semester, and a couple that were like really, really, really good that helped build out the product. Some of it still exists today. Wow. Um, and uh, and then we hired a, 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 a like a, what are they called co-ops from our yeah. RIT? I remember brought some of those eventually full time. Any from Northeast? Or I'm from Northeast. No, no. not from Northeast. We we I don't know. Uh, yes, yeah. yeah, sorry. Um, and so I don't remember how many people we had in, in the tech park, but then during that re severe recession, we, we had to let a bunch of people go. It was very, it was very challenging. Um, and, then, and then kind of built it up back up from there. Anybody from those early days still with you? Any of those first employees? Any of your buddies from? No. no? The no. one buddy went to be a physician. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, so I love that story. I just love things that have like, you know, you just see a trans, uh, like this, What's the word I'm looking for? You know, just this move. Trajectory. What? Trajectory. Trajectory. Thank you. That's good. I'll take it. Um, incubator to the RPI Tech Park, which was created, by the way, to kind of mimic what was happening in L.A. back in the uh, 80s, I think it was. That was like the first real big tech park in the area, which had a lot of success. So you actually followed the roadmap that they were looking for. You would segue in. Great. You work with Mike Wackel. Yeah. Right? Great guy, smart, yeah. very yeah. smart. And then, um, and then you went from there, and you kind of graduated the RPI Tech Park in a yeah. way. I, mean, I guess if you can graduate from there. Yeah. Um, so, your brother um, once said in a previous story that the best decision he made was hiring talented people. Yes. So, when did you like? Can you walk us through some of those first hires, and also maybe if you don't mind sharing well, like how you went about it. But also, if there's some lessons learned, I mean, now you're 50 employees, 30 local, um, 20 remote. I don't know if that's 20 remote in completely different states or if they're in another, just a satellite office. But what, you know, your hiring process, maybe mistakes, if you've made some, uh, yeah. if you could share any of those, because yeah, that's how we learn as well. Uh, yeah, we made a ton of mistakes. Uh, that's part of the learning process. Uh, 
I think one of the biggest things in terms of hiring for us is now before we hire, before we even post a job uh, for any role, we create an internal rubric of how we're going to qualify that, that candidate. And, and uh, we have typically like a three or four step process and every step asks a different set of questions and it's super methodical. And so those, the initial kind of questions and the way we screen people is, well, definitely on skills, like that's important and background and, and all of that. But when we talk to them at one point, like we have, we've internally with the team, we've created like core values of what types of people do, do we want to work at the organization? Um, and, and like what kind of company do we want? And, and we hire around that more than skill in a lot of times, in a lot of cases, that's the most important thing that they fit the culture. Um, and yeah, and, and then we so think they'll be successful. How many teams do you, would you say you have? You have like a development team? Yeah, development, sales? customer success, which is manages our customer relationships, marketing, and sales. Okay, so they all, each one of those departments, when they, you're hiring in sales, they play a big part in like, this person fits our culture kind yeah. of thing? Yeah, and then we, we create a rubric for each role to say, hey, like what are the skills we need for this role? Or like, you know, or we don't want to waste anyone anyone's time, you know, proceed to the next step or not. And then it's like, you know, a pretty intense interview for the next two steps of like, you know, tell me about the last few roles. And then we ask them very pointed questions around, you know, what did you do? You know, how were, you know, what was your contribution? What, you know, what was your, what was your day to day? Like skills we think are core to that, um, to that role. Like what's in my head right now is the what roles we're hiring for right now are a lot in sales. So I've, I've been part of a lot of those interviews so we have like very, very rigid rubrics, um, and that was probably the biggest mistake we've made with hiring is is um, like a, a like never do it on gut and b um, like not having a process and evaluating one candidate one way another candidate a different way, and then kind of deciding probably like at the end of the day based on who we like more uh, on a personal level, uh, which did not work. Really? At all, yeah. Sometimes uh, someone can hit it out of the park, personally. So, yeah, wise. then it's just like a lottery. Like then it's like you either you either got got lucky or it ends up poorly for everyone. But you also have to have there is that intangible thing that happens too, where it's there like is. you know maybe they don't quite have the top tier skill that, but they're tre- teachable. Yeah. Maybe. But they do have that personality that you. I don't know, right? Yeah. I mean it's. It, so it depends on the role. If I know you're analytical. Yeah, we are very analytical. So it depends on the role. I mean, if we if it's someone more junior, then then like a lot of these are relaxed. And then one of the things we look for are you know do yeah are, is that person coachable? And we ask questions around that. Is like if it's someone more junior, it's the way we ask probing questions around. Um, you know, do we think that person could be trained up? And if it's someone more senior, then then the rubric is a lot more rigid around weeks we. we, we we have expectations that they, they don't need that much training or uh, outside How, of you know, product training. So two quick questions I'm thinking about. One was uh, about just that culture again, when you're on two different, you know, you, you have um, remote people and mm-hmm. you have people in the, you know, the, 30 of them are in the office, yeah. correct? So how do you build that? Is there, a, you know, what are the challenges? How do you overcome it? Or, you know, give me a sense of how you, yeah, I'd say we're still figuring it out. I uh, we we ha- we have we only started doing remote earlier this year, okay. so I think we're still figuring it out. Okay, it's, not, it, it's uh, it has its own set of challenges. As I'm sure you're aware. Yes, it's uh, yeah. I don't know. We we, don't we have some things that and it's become commonplace now. But like if you have a Teams call, everyone's on camera. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, we that do kind all that of kind of stuff. Yeah, but things like you know we haven't brought the whole team together this year yet at least not at the same time um so that those kind of things we have to figure out is like do we do we bring in the whole team once a year or twice a year every quarter like what is that or do we not do that at all or yeah we have those kinds of things we haven't figured out yet we've also talked about how like sometimes the remote employee if you have everybody's in the office except for this one say you had like five salespeople yeah. and one of them is remote he or she can miss things they can feel disconnected they may not get promoted, yeah. you know, those kind of things. Yeah. Now, as a startup versus what you're now, you're an established company um, with a history, a, you know, you have a track record, you have 
massive clients, big client, big name clients. Um, I've talked to the class and I don't, you know, you can, you know, either tell me this is the, your case or that, everybody's different. But some people like working with a startup. They like they're flying by the seat of the pants. We don't have the rigid hiring process quite yet. We don't have the rubric. We don't know what a rubric is. Um, and then others like that you maybe who were with you in the early days, once it started getting a little more rigid, they're like, I'm gone versus somebody that says, now you're the, you have a 401k maybe, I'm not yeah, sure if you do yeah. all that, that you're like, okay, now you're an established company. Now yeah. my comfort level is this company's gonna be here for a while. Like, you, yeah. Did you see any of that? Um, we still operate like a lot like a startup. Um, it, and, but as we get larger, even larger, it will get more rigid just because the more people you have, the more process you need in place and the more like rules you have to have in place. Otherwise it's just total mayhem. Um, so I don't think we're there yet, but, but you know, there has been, have been people that have joined where there's been a big adjustment where they've come from a really, really large company and they know, you know, exactly where, where to go for every question. Like, if, like if there's there's an issue, a question about a 401k, they go to HR. Today they go to me, <laughs> uh, and and so that there's a lot of that kind of stuff. They want time and, off? They go. Yeah. To... No, they don't go. Okay. To that, but you know they go to the manager. But like, right. but uh, you know it's like uh, it's 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 way less rigid. It's not like you know going to work for a huge company like Google or something where, you know, you're one of ten thousand employees and and there's you know everything's streamlined. It's not like that, but. Parts of that are going to start to happen over time as we get to, as we get scale up. You missed my last class. I sang the word bureaucracy. Yeah. Like when you get bigger, there's more bureaucracy. Yeah, there is. I sang it to um, yesterday. Yeah. The Beatles yesterday. It was great. It was nice, a beautiful nice. thing. So, I won't do it today though. Because yes, doctor. I have a question. You know, even though I came here without a question, but based on your discussion, and if I go back to what she talked about, you're an engineer. Your brother is a lawyer. You don't have a business background. I have a business background, and I'm teaching. <laughs> you see, okay. Can you tell us if you look back, what role did? Because you started with an internship, and we are looking at internship in the college now. Can you tell us? Apologies, it's two questions. One, what role did that internship? or that summer job, what role did it play in helping you build or develop these competencies you have to run a business? Because your background is engineering. And also, why did you not give up? Because a lot of small business starts, after a couple of years, they will shut down. You know, so what was that driving force that made you say, you know what, even if you kept on, I want to pivot, but what was that driving force that made you to continue to go? So, on the first question, the, the internship I had, Alexander had as well when we were younger, was like a very technical one. I would say from a business standpoint, like it, it didn't add any value, but it, it, it built up my technical skills. At a, I was very young, um, and so I got a head start and allowed us, from a technical standpoint, to be very, very strong, and then learned the business side through trial and error. Um, and the second part of your question is like, why do we keep going? Yeah, it can be really hard. Yeah. It, it can be like, so there's <clears throat> e even even to this day, like it, when you're start, starting out, it's like survival, right? And so that, that like you're trying to make sure you don't go out of business, but then at a certain scale, it's like now the pressure is to grow. And like, I'm sure you, you hear about this, but when you feel it every day is different, you know, growth is not like a, a smooth like curve it, it, it's like a lot of ups and downs and the ups are super fun but the downs are super stressful and uh and brutal and uh, and and those those happen every quarter but then there's small ups and downs that happen daily and and um and it can be it can be challenging to 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 uh to deal with it but you know, from my standpoint, I've been doing this a long time, and I, I know that big picture is it's all going in the right direction. 
So I had to like filter out the noise and, and make sure that uh, plus they had early okay. success. I mean, you had ten. I mean, just starting off, yeah. having ten clients a day, it was a day. Yeah, I mean that's. But then when you change the pivot, the whole business model, you don't know if you're going to survive a year from now. And, yes. and so there's that there's that always like looming over the back of your head. But at the end of the day, you know, I I don't give up because well, the business is 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 strong. But outside of that, it's like super fun. But it's incredibly, incredibly challenging. It can be very, very stressful. Um, it takes a lot of your time. It's like your life. So how do, and, the, and how does your wife handle being married to an entrepreneur? Yeah, has those ups and downs. And yeah, she knew. She's very supportive. Okay. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Is she I, part of the business at all? Or? No, but she's uh, yeah, she's very supportive. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how you have, I have a very supportive wife who, uh, yeah, without her, I don't know how we'd have a family. Very good. Yeah, yeah, I work yeah. a lot. Jasmine, I think you. Have, I have a couple more, but I got. He got it. All right. Great. Oh, that was a nice tandem. That was a nice one too. That was perfect. Yeah, so I have to, um, to ask you though. Um, we stated sometimes there are ups and downs. We know that about business, anything in life. But at the same time, while you here, do you ever? Well, you know, I know you have a recording. Do you ever think that, you know what? I didn't want to do that business. Can I go to do my engineer? Or your, your, your brother said, you know what? Let me go open my law, law office instead of, you know, finding this business. Do you ever have that in mind? Yeah, so that's that's why we got our degrees. So, you know, we weren't sure that the when, when we were, you know, at that stage of the business, we weren't sure it was going to be sustainable long-term for, for another you know, 30, 30, 30, 40 years. We weren't sure we were going to have a company that could last that long. Um, and so we wanted to have a backup plan. That's why we got our, our, our graduate degrees is if it didn't work out, we needed something to do. And, you know, we, we, we could have, he could have been an attorney. I could have been an engineer and we would have like fantastic careers. I would have been definitely employed. It's, it's, it's very in demand. And so, would, so would he, um, so that's why we did it is like as a backup plan, but luckily things worked out and, uh, and, and, and we don't have to use that as a backup plan. That's great. And I think also my wife's a nurse, but she doesn't work in a hospital, but I think that no education is wasted, frankly. Yeah. So even things that you may say, maybe I'm not doing engineering right now, but there's still things that you learn in that yeah. process. Yeah, there is. I mean, from my standpoint, yeah, I had a very good, very, very good, uh, experience, um, doing my PhD, I had a very good advisor, and while like nothing I studied applies to what I do today, um, I learned like how to think and how to uh, research and approach problems, and that was very, like, that was very useful. That's awesome. Yeah, two other quick questions, well, three actually. One is just about, you're gonna, you, you say you're gonna double, the goal is to double in the uh, next two years. Yep. So what's driving that discontinued association? Are you seeing something else that, you know, I don't want you to give away any kind of secrets here, yeah. but um, what is it that you're seeing and then how, um, how are you gonna go about doing that? Yeah, so we just, we just brought on a, a head of sales to kind of professionalize our sales organization and she's incredibly good. Um, and so, you know, I think up to, through today we've had a, pretty repeatable process of like, this is the type of customer that will be successful for us. But the way we've gone about it is with a, on the association side, at least is with a really small team. And so we're going to build that out. And, and I, you know, we have a lot of confidence that what has worked at a smaller scale is going to work at a larger scale. Um, and then, and then the rest kind of like falls in place is if we have enough associations, we have enough members that we can then help employers, recruit from uh, that, that member becomes case. a ripple effect. So like exactly. our zip recruiter and Indeed, are they now, would you say, are they competitors? Yeah, they are. Okay. Um, they're competitors, definitely competitors, but, um, but they, they are really good at filling um, roles that are high turnover. So like hourly workers, retail, like a lot where there's constant turnover in a lot of volume. So they work with the big, you know, Home Depots, Walmarts, uh, targets of the world. They, they generate a lot of the revenue there, don't get me wrong, they still compete with us in, in these specialized roles, um, but we kind of have this niche we've carved out of just high-scale labor. Awesome. Do you use your own, like, tools to hire people? Sometimes, yeah. Okay. 
finally, if you could tell me what's one lesson learned. So one thing that if I knew then what I know now, what you would tell your 19-year-old self. Out all the, like, you, got, you got to cut out the noise a lot of times and focus on the core, even if it means like leaving money on the table, which can be even harder when you're really small. Because you can look back on it in retrospect and say, that was a great decision. Yeah, I wish, but like, you don't know which one yeah. is going to be the... I wish we went into the association world, not in 2015, but in 2010. And there's those kind of things that, that you know, what ifs. But, uh, you know, I, and to, to this day, it's easy to get distracted. Like, we, we, we are constantly pulled in, trying, to, trying to get pulled into other industries that are not our core with potentially a lot of opportunity there. But we still have so much runway in our space of, of associations today that like we're literally, you know, turning down, you know, revenue opportunities because that's not our core business. And that can be like really hard, especially when you're small, um, to, 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 to turn that down. We've talked a lot about that, about staying focused and uh, you can, oh, there's all these other verticals and you can get, yeah. those could be distractions yeah. that could, you know, yeah. jack of all I, trades. I would go as narrow as possible. Yes, very good. Please give it up for Alexei Guten. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.